Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Amen. I, uh, I think sometimes it's tempting or easy to uh, sing things like that and feel like that's true for the people around us. Uh, or that's true for those people over there who seem to have it together. So I, I guess I, w- I want to encourage you that it is true for you, that God really loves you, and not because you showed up to church or because you're, uh-oh, maybe? No? Okay. Or because you're watching a video online, uh, but simply because he made you and he loves you. And I am hoping that my uh, story helps demonstrate that, I suppose, in, in some way. Uh, I, I will say that the first time I shared my testimony, I was uh, 16 years old and been a Christian for a year and a half, and I talked for 30 minutes. So it's been a few years since then, so just buckle up. I'm going to be here a while. Just kidding. Uh, I grew up in, in what they call a good Christian home, um, and I have heard uh, recently, people say that good Christian home is just code language for actually there was a lot of trauma, but we went to church and we weren't allowed to talk about it. Uh, that's not my story, uh, but it, it may be yours, um, and, uh, and we, we get that. We know, we know that that happens. Uh, I really did grow up in a pretty stereotypical, loving a uh, good Christian home where uh, my parents were at church every Sunday morning and every Wednesday night for choir practice. And my, uh, some of my earliest memories are being in the choir room of our uh, large church, uh, playing in, in the back uh, while my, my parents uh, sang with the choir and playing with my little brother and a couple of friends. Uh, my mom... Uh, was the uh, lead soprano soloist, uh, had a beautiful voice. Um, And my dad will tell you that uh, he can't really sing, uh, but he wanted to go wherever she was. So he went to choir practice and they let him in, Um, which is is great. Uh, The harder parts for us were not the the church or or the home environment in and of itself. I I really did have two parents who loved me and made that clear. Um, but, uh, But cancer is a beast. Um, and uh, I remember uh, my mom telling us when I was uh, three uh, that she had cancer, uh, and, um, and she beat it, and then she got it again, and she beat it, and then she got it again, and that, was, uh, that just got to be too much. So uh, when I was nine, uh, my mom uh, passed away from cancer, which uh, took our idyllic little life and and shattered it pretty good, as if, uh, you know, driving back and forth to the hospital across the state (laughs) hadn't enough. Uh, And and what really threw me and my faith for a loop at that point is there was somebody else uh, in the choir with my parents who who came by to visit uh, as uh, my mom was dying. Uh, We brought her home, and and so she could die at home, and, and a whole parade of people from the church came through, which... Uh, at the time felt like an invasion. Looking back on it, I'm very grateful for that we had that kind of support. Um, and as uh, 
one woman was coming out of the room my mom was in. She happened to run into me in the hallway. Um, and she, um, I think with uh, every good intention possible, knelt down next to me and said, Josh, I want you to know it's going to be okay because God is, is taking her to be with him. And for nine-year-old me, what I heard was, ooh, I didn't, I'm, I'm really angry and I haven't known who to be mad at. And now, now I know who to be mad at. Now I can be mad at God because he's taking her. Uh, and I um, am still peeling away the layers of that. I uh, spent the next uh, few years uh, really uh, angry with God and um, uh, went through middle school as just a fairly angry person. Um, and uh, my dad said, look, y- you still have to go to church. You can either uh, go to church in the mornings or you can go to youth group at night. I'm not actually going to make you do both, but you got to do something. And I said, okay, if I go to church in the morning, can I sit in the back row and read the Sports Illustrated? He said, sure. I said, okay, decision made. So uh, I made it through middle school uh, in church, uh, sitting in the back row, reading Sports Illustrated. And, um, and I, I, that, that has been an interesting story as an encouragement to parents through the years, that as their kids don't seem that interested, I just... You'd be amazed what you soak up sitting in the back row, not paying attention. Um, so uh, went through through middle school that way and, and experienced uh, the the love of, of my family and my church um, and and of God and I I didn't uh, I didn't really recognize it or pay much attention to it. Um, uh, somewhere in middle school, my dad started dating again, and that, that was its own sort of, that's a story for another time. And when I was headed into ninth grade then, about 14, my dad got remarried to a woman who lived about an hour away, and we moved. Um, and uh, I uh, found myself with, again, having two parents who loved me, um, but uh, who had the hardest time not trying to defend their kids from the other person's kids and uh, the siblings. We just did not get along in the slightest. Um, And so I didn't really want to be at home. Um, And uh, introverted me did not find brand new school of 1,800 students to be the most exciting place to be either. Uh, I didn't even, I wasn't even willing to walk in the cafeteria. You know that moment when you walk in the cafeteria and you're not sure where to sit? I was so afraid of that moment. I just ignored it for the first like four months. At some point it was like January and I had to go inside somewhere. But I I just tried to ignore uh, all of that. And so somewhere that fall, uh, October-ish, uh, I was uh, walking home from school and realized I had no desire to go home. And so I actually turned around and started walking back towards school and uh, thought maybe I'd just sleep on a bench. And then I remembered that I actually hated school too, so that wasn't going to go very well for me. And so I felt very, very stuck. And uh, in that stuck place, I, I made my way back home um, and uh, I almost feel like apologizing for how melodramatic uh, this is going to sound, but uh, 14-year-olds do melodrama. I don't know what to tell you. So uh, I, on the way home, something in the back of my brain uh, was having, I, I suppose, a conversation with God about it and uh, about how I did not want this life. And I, I was not uh, suicidal in that sense, but I just didn't want it. Um, And I remembered uh, some Sunday school teacher somewhere along the line teaching me that God wanted my life, that he wanted me to give it to him. 
And I don't know that I knew what that meant, but I knew I didn't want it anymore. And so if he did, that's fine. He could have it. Um, and so I went home and I fell apart. Um, and I told God, uh, look, I don't want this thing, so, so you can have it. Not the most uh, dedicated or like holiest of moments, but that's where I was at. Okay, God, you can have it. And uh, after I got done being a, a puddle on the floor, again, melodrama, uh, I uh, walked down to my parents' room, and since we had moved mm, four months earlier, we hadn't found a church yet, and um, I said, hey, hey Dad, I, I think I want to start going to church, because that's all I knew about following Jesus, was you go to church. I, I think I want to start going to church. And so we found a church, um, and uh, I found uh, people who cared. I found uh, good friends. I found cute girls, and so I just kept going back. I don't know what order those three things were in, but all three were true. So we just, uh, we kept going. And uh, for me, it was a whole lot of, I mean, it was, um, it was my social life. Uh, so um, when I made different friends at school who went to a different church, I just went to their church. Um, and, and Jesus had saved me, but I was really mostly interested in feeling loved. And I didn't really care if that came from Jesus or from people. I was going to go after that. And so I kind of go through high school that way with a very, I guess I would say, horizontal faith. It was very much geared toward the people around me and how I engaged uh, with them and, and how they engaged uh, with me. And uh, then my, my senior year of high school, uh, I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do with my life, and I really like sports, so I was going to go get a sports management degree, um, and, and that was going to be great. And uh, I heard a song on the radio about having an impact on other people's lives. It was a very cheesy, circa mid-90s Christian music song about having a positive impact on other people. And I said, I want to do that. I want to have an impact on people's lives. And I felt like God told me uh, that's why you're going to go into youth ministry. And I laughed out loud because that was the dumbest idea I had ever heard. Uh, I would just, why would, why would God think I was the right person to do that? Uh, yeah, so he won because he tends to win those arguments eventually. Um, but even, it, it's interesting how that story has changed in my own mind over the last few years. Uh, in the midst of the selfishness of, actually, I just like doing youth ministry because, or like being in the youth group because I like being around other people and they make me feel good. Uh, and the selfishness of, actually, I want to feel like I'm having an impact with my life. In the midst of all that, God still reached out and said, hey, I, I have this thing that, that I want you to do. And I'm, I'm amazed that God was breaking through all of that, uh, that selfishness. Uh, to, to declare things in, in my life. Uh, post high school, uh, I, I graduated and uh, all my friends went off to college and I stuck around to do uh, a year, uh, finish up my community college and uh, started driving to a different town, to a different church uh, where I learned that I wasn't just supposed to have a relationship with Jesus. What I internalized and what a lot of what they taught was I was supposed to have a very emotional, powerful, miraculous relationship with Jesus. 
and there is nothing in and of itself wrong with that idea. Uh, and I experienced all of those things. I experienced emotions, and I experienced power, and I experienced miracles, and it was an incredible thing to be a part of. I also found the emotional roller coaster of that to be really exhausting. That when I wasn't feeling good about it, what did that mean about my relationship with God? So uh, God called me uh, into youth ministry, and so I knew the next step for me was to go to uh, Christian college. Oh, and um, sorry, how am I doing on time? Okay, I got time. Uh, some of you um, are, uh, are going to get mad at me if I don't share this part of the story. So just a, a detour. Um, that year after high school, when I stuck around and my friends went off, uh, there was this young lady at our home church who had just graduated from college, and all of her friends had gone off to do things, and she was doing her student teaching, um, and she was uh, way out of my league. Uh, but she didn't realize that, apparently, which worked out really well for me. So uh, when I came over to Western Oregon to go to college, uh, she got a job teaching in this town we had never heard of called Kelso. Um, and uh, so uh, I, I was two hours south of here, and spent way more time than I should have driving back and forth that first year of college. We decided that that was dumb. One of us was going to die on the highway, uh, and we loved each other anyway. So we got married and lived in Vancouver, and then we were both driving half that distance every day, and that was a little silly too, but I figured, whatever, it's just for a year, and then I'm going to get my degree, and we'll just move somewhere else in the country where it doesn't rain so much. So she uh, starts her 20th year of teaching in Kelso, <laughs> uh, God has a way of winning these things, I'm telling you. Okay, anyway, I knew somebody would get mad if I didn't share the how we met story. Okay, Christian college. Uh, when I went off to Christian college, I had a lot of very high expectations. What that was going to mean of what, uh, you know, all the holiness that was going to uh, be uh, around me, I was going to be surrounded by, everybody was going to be there because of Jesus. Um, and that's just not entirely true. Uh, it is mostly true, I suppose. Uh, the hard part for me was I moved from this church that was very emotions and power and miracles, and I moved into an environment that was very, of course, academic. And I don't think uh, they intentionally taught me this lesson, but the lesson that I internalized is that the Bible is a textbook, and that I need to be able to dig it apart, and that if my theology isn't good enough, then my relationship with God isn't good enough. And that if I'm really going to know God, I have to know all the things, I got to be able to tear this book apart and understand everything behind it. And, and if I can just intellectually understand God, then my faith will be mature. Then I'll have a, a real relationship with Jesus. And so from there, with some understanding of emotional roller coasters and some understanding of theology, I launched into ministry. Uh, my first youth ministry job I was still in school, and I was 19 years old, and that's a little bit young to be working with high schoolers. No offense to any 19-year-olds. Um, and I went through a number of years of ministry that included uh, moving uh, up here at, at some point to a different church. And as I launched into ministry, I, I knew I wanted impact, right? That was why I had gotten into this thing. Uh, I still really wanted to feel loved and uh, was okay if that came from people and I didn't feel that from Jesus. And, and yet I was really struggling with feeling that if my heart wasn't on fire for God or if I didn't know enough, if I didn't have enough knowledge that somehow I was failing. 
And that if I wasn't seeing powerful, life-changing impact, somehow I was failing, then none of it was going to be good enough. And eventually, eventually I, I, uh, I ended up stepping out of ministry um, for a couple of years as the weight of my own expectations, the weight of feeling like a failure, uh, the uh, dragging down that my private life was, not, not my family. My family was great, but, um, well, in, in deference to all the, the generations that are here, I'll just leave it at that, that, um, that my poor choices and my double life weighed me down. And so I found myself um, being released, I felt, by God out of ministry, I landed at East Hills, um, and, uh, and God went to work through other people, through other people's stories, through being able to get into uh, groups with other guys that could help walk me along uh, where I was experiencing both the love of people and the love of Jesus. Um, and uh, eventually, a couple years in, uh, God called me uh, back into uh, ministry. The, the church called me uh, back into, into youth ministry. And we've, we've gone from there. Uh, I am, well, <laughs> I would love to say that uh, I went through this process um, and got healthy, period. Not just healthier, but we'll have to go with healthier because I'm still very much a work in progress and I'm still very much peeling back the layers of everything that God is teaching me. And it's amazing to me how much uh, these things start to cycle back up, these uh, desires for uh, impact, the uh, desire to feel loved, to, uh, to be passionate, to be smart, all of these, these things that I want to prove or be, uh, they, they keep uh, climbing back up in the back of my brain and heart. God continues to, to teach me uh, through the things that I do, through the things that I get to teach, um, through my wrestling with him uh, just, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, actually, uh, to, to maybe make this slightly more personal. Uh, I went for a drive, trying to think through and process things, uh, praying, um, and uh, felt like God said, or I thought, or something, felt like God said, if I never do a great, amazing work through your church or your ministry, am I still enough for you? Whew, okay. Um, I know the right answer to that is yes, and I'm gonna work on that until that's true. I think that's... Uh, those kinds of things are true in all of our lives. We've got these different areas where we are tempted to make this more than it needs to be, to make it more complicated, to, to make it more uh, about how we feel or how much we know, to make it uh, about the uh, miracles or the power that we're seeing around us. And in doing so, we tend to overcomplicate things. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it starts with Jesus writing letters to a bunch of different churches. And one of the churches he's writing to is the church in Ephesus. And he says uh, some, in all these letters, he says some critical things, some really nice things, like, hey, you need to grow here. And the letter to Ephesus starts out just great. So I love you. 
and I love the things you do. You're doing amazing work. But, but you've forgotten your first love. In the New Living Translation, it says, but you don't love me and each other like you did at first. And I think uh, my story, to some degree, is worthy of that rebuke. That we make this so complicated, that I make this so complicated. And yes, there are good things to know, and there are good passions to feel, and there's good impact to have. But I find that I can get lost in all of that and in the machinations of all of it, and how do we make this happen? And it's easy for me to get sidetracked by the complicated. And I think it's easy for us in, in a world where we are constantly bombarded by different things to care about, it is easy to get distracted by the complicated. In a world where we want to make our faith look really good, it's, it's easy to get distracted by the complicated. And, and I know that I need to continually go back to square one. That Jesus loves me and I love him. And that's hard for me to say some days. It's hard for me to remember. And it's not like, oh man, I got to go all the way back to the beginning. Like God has grown me and he has grown you through the years. It's not just about going back to the beginning, but it is about keeping it basic. We're going to spend some time uh, this fall talking about uh, having a, a basic faith and, and going back to square one, to its most basic point. It is not starting over and it's not dumbing it down. It is simply remembering what is most true and letting that be enough. That God loves you and he's asking you to love him and the people around you. We can make it really complicated. Jesus does not promise that it will be easy, but he keeps it simple. Above all, love him and love others. Above all, he wants you to know that he loves you. And no matter what mess you've made of your life or other people have made of your life, that he wants to lead your life and he wants to love you through it. And he wants to love the people around you through you. Again, he doesn't promise easy. He just keeps it simple. So we love him and we love people. And when we fall short, we rest in his grace and mercy. So this morning, we are celebrating a basic step. We are celebrating a baptism, a baptism and a declaring of faith. Uh, and I'm excited for Hope as she takes this step. I'm excited that we get to celebrate with her and, and hopefully get to support her for the years to come. So if you have uh, settled in too much, maybe get on the edge of your seat to get ready to uh, yell and scream and celebrate for Hope uh, because she really loves being the center of attention. So... Um, <laughs> Just kidding. Apparently, I'll add honesty to the things God's working on me. Okay. Uh, so um, I'd love to invite Hope and her family and the worship team up. 
Uh, and we'll get to hear from Hope. All right, there you go, ma'am. I know I'm even going to make you talk into the microphone. I'll get out of your way. Okay. So uh, Hope has uh, chosen to answer a couple of questions uh, for us this morning. So uh, Hope, why do you want to be baptized? You got this. Um, when I was 10, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And after that, I was at my like lowest of lows. Um, and clearly, I was not doing a good job of taking care of myself. <laughs> so I just decided to take, give it over to God. Awesome. Uh, so... Um, Yes or no question. This one's nice and easy. Have you made a decision to follow Jesus, love Jesus, and obey Jesus? Yes. Excellent. This was going to go a whole different route. Okay. Since you made that decision, how is your life different, or how do you think it's going to be different? I hope it'll just teach me to know I'm not alone and God is always beside me. Amen. Sounds good to me. All right. Uh, you are going to hand the microphone to them, and we are going to have you come over here. Uh, and get in uh, this, well, I was going to say it was warm water, but I just said I wasn't going to lie anymore. So, uh, yeah, you, you got this. <laughs> All right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this off. Well, I hope, I uh, just want to let you know that we love you, and we are very proud of you. Um, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Now it's your turn. I hope the last few years have seen you go through so much, and we know sometimes you struggled with where to find the answers you needed. Whoop. <laughs> Asking God to lead your life was a big deal, and we're so happy you made that choice. Know that life might not always be easy from here on out, but remember that God has great plans for you. We love you very much and are very proud of this step you're taking today. I'm going to ask you guys, when Hope comes out of the water, to do your best rock concert screaming thing. Because of your expression of faith, your desire to follow Jesus, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.